Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Wherever You Turn podcast, and this one is titled, Being Mad at Mr. Rogers. Yes, that Mr. Rogers. The, won't you be my neighbor, Mr. Rogers. So where does this come from? So over the holiday season, the family has been in town. Um, We've had a couple of opportunities to do some family uh, bonding. Um, And one evening we went to go see a movie and we decided to go see the A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood movie, um, which came out uh, recently. Has Tom Hanks playing Fred Rogers. Love the movie. Um, We had... After the movie, the family got together, um, as most would do, and went around the table to ask, okay, what did people think of the movie? Um, And what it turns out is that there are some folks in my family that are mad at Mr. Rogers. So how could they be mad at Mr. Rogers? How can anyone possibly be mad at Mr. Rogers? Well, it's interesting. where that anger comes from. So the argument goes like this. Is this for real? Can a person actually be and behave that way all the time? Impossible, unbelievable, I don't get it. And it's annoying to top it off. It's annoying to have somebody like that all the time. So. Today, I wanted to reflect on that um, and reflect on lessons that uh, we can all get from being mad at Mr. Rogers. So when you watch the movie, um, and the movie isn't so much a biographical account of Mr. Rogers' life, Um, The story revolves around an interaction, a particular event that happens, um, that happened in real life, where an Esquire magazine uh, investigative reporter is assigned uh, the responsibility to go interview and do a feature story on Mr. Rogers. And so the investigative reporter in the big city in New York City heads out to Pittsburgh to meet Mr. Rogers. And the movie is their relationship. Now what you see in the movie is the on-screen Mr. Rogers, that guy that talks like this very slowly, very deliberately. Won't you be my neighbor? Is the exact same person off screen. And that becomes the foundation or the underlying uh, dynamic that happens between this investigative reporter and Mr. Rogers. And in, in fact, at points in the movie, this investigative reporter who's just looking to get his job done, just looking to get the answers to his questions so he can write his article and turn it into his editor, um, is just utterly frustrated by Mr. Rogers. The man cannot just give a simple answer to the questions. 
just can't talk like a quote-unquote normal human being. So that's the movie. And so, yeah, I even found myself watching the movie and at times wanting to grab Mr. Rogers by the, that sweater of his and say, Fred, can you just snap out of it? Just answer the questions. <laughs> but Mr. Rogers just can't be anything but Mr. Rogers. So let's dive deep into this. So there's one scene in the movie, and this is actually uh, a real quote from the wife of Fred Rogers. Uh, his wife's name was Joanne. In the movie, um, the investigative reporter is standing next to a woman as Fred Rogers is coming out of the theater, meeting a throng of crazed children and fans, and they're just both observing. And so the investigative reporter turns to this woman who he doesn't know who she is and, and finds out that it's actually Mr. Rogers' wife. So of course, when he sees and realizes this, um, he asks the natural question, which I think all of us would have if we met the wife of Mr. Rogers, which is, what's it like being married to Mr. Rogers? And so they talk and she says a couple of things, but the really, really poignant thing that she says, the thing that we want to focus on today is this statement where she says, if you make him out to be a saint, people might not know how hard he worked. He worked hard at what he did. And so what is she talking about there? This notion of making people out to be saints. I mean, if you take a step back and ask yourself, where does, or, or what your notion of a saint, um, a lot of times, and, and, and I would say, a saint is somebody like Buddha. You know, he was a wealthy prince living in the, in the, in the castle, um, only to leave it all behind and to go out into the wilderness to find his enlightenment. Or for Muslims uh, like myself, uh, the Prophet Muhammad, um, going at times in solitude, climbing into the cave, Hira, just to contemplate. And it's there that he gets the revelation. Or it's Moses going up to Mount Sinai, there meeting God, there getting the Ten Commandments. And then they always return, these saintly figures, and it's at that point then that they spread their wisdom and they affect those that are around them. I mean, that's the model of the saint. But that's not the model of true sainthood. And that's what Joanne is talking about. See, it's not that you first become a saint and then you do saintly work. No, 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 no. It's a conscious effort, a deliberate effort, a consistent effort of life in which you put this, the goal or the mission in front of you, in front of your eyes, and then 
you do acts, whether they be small, whether they be big, in your life, take those small steps towards it. And that's the work that Joanne is talking about. And what were the little things that Mr. Rogers did in his path to sainthood? I'll just talk about a couple of them. I mean, some of the uh, things that he did that, for me anyway, were the most powerful. Maybe the biggest one for me was, and this is all true, I mean, it's reflected in the movie, but um, it's actually uh, uh, true, and you can find this um, um, in other uh, documented uh, interviews and quotes of people who were around Mr. Rogers. And so one of those things that Mr. Rogers would do is he would carry a small camera in his pocket. And of course, Mr. Rogers, especially as he became more and more popular, people would come to visit him, both old and young. And so Mr. Rogers would ask the people that he would meet that he'd want to take their picture. So of course, this is the, you know, this is the 80s. This is the 90s. This is a time when people carried a camera. Um, and then, of course, after you took the pictures, then you would develop those pictures um, to actually view the pictures. And so Mr. Rogers would do that. And he would say, I'd like to do this because I'd like to show, uh, tell my wife, Joanne, about this. And so he would take their picture. And what was really, really interesting, and this is the conscious part of it, is that he would never actually put himself in those pictures. He would take a picture of the individual. And then what Mr. Rogers would do is he would send the picture to the person who he took their picture. And what he would do is he would usually write a note on that. Um, and the reflect and what he would usually put in that note would typically be just like a small comment. And the comment would always be about the other person. Something like you look really happy here. Oh, you look surprised here. And he would never, ever autograph these pictures. And Mr. Rogers' mission was really, really clear. Um, I'm quoting him. He said, there are those of us who have been deprived of human confidence, those who have not been able to develop the conviction that they have anything of value within. Their gap is rather a chasm, and they most often despair of creating any bridges to the land of what might be. They were not accepted as little children. They were never truly loved by any important human other. And so it seems to me that the most essential element must be love. A love that begins with the simple expressions of care for a little child. I mean, that's Fred Rogers talking about his mission. And the most simple expression of care we can have for another is to see that other person, to tell that other, that person that you are seen, you are valued, and you are loved. And so, of course, that picture with that note from the famous Mr. Rogers 
all focused on that person and not on Fred was all he had to do to show that love and that seeing. And that's what the saints do. That in the most mundane and in the most simple of acts, whether it's a smile, whether it's an interaction, whether it's a shoulder to cry on, whether it's a tear that's shed, that's what the true saint does. Not because they went to the cave, not because they got hit by a lightning bolt, but simply because of the fact that they've decided to work. They take little steps towards that goal that they've set out, and they keep it front and center in their lives. I mean, Mr. Rogers, they say Mr. Rogers, every morning he would, um, before doing his show, he would go swimming, um, and Mr. Rogers was always wanted to be 143 pounds. He said because he liked that number. And why was that number so special to Mr. Rogers? 143? One, four, three? Well, because I is one letter, and love is four letters, and, th and you is three letters. See, so, I mean, even in the weight that he maintained, he kept that saintly mission of his front and center, that it was all about love and it was all about seeing others. So rather than getting mad at Mr. Rogers, we can see him now in a new light. Um, I'll close with what um, a good friend of his um, talked uh, about, um, Fred. Um, Johnny Costa, he was a, a jazz musician. He's somebody who worked on the set with Fred Rogers and the team. Um, and he was very much the opposite of Fred. Um, you know, uh, he loved to eat meat. Fred was a vegetarian. He didn't mind having a glass or two of wine. Fred never drank. He, needless to say, uh, uh, would swear. Um, Fred would never swear. Um, and so on the surface, they seemed to be opposites. But this is what he said about Fred. He said, quote, Fred knows that I have something to give that's important, and he lets me give it, and I give it freely, and then I'm a part of it. That's what made us so tight, him and Fred. It's because Fred let us give, and what a thing that is. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Fred Rogers. Total acceptance of others no matter what their backgrounds were no matter what their situation was and so
during his life, Fred Rogers was not a saint. He worked towards it. After he's passed? Now that's another thing. I mean, maybe that's the thing about saints, right? Is that you never christen a person a saint while they're living. It's only after they've passed from this world and their impact, which his impact continues to this day, um, is measured. It's then and only then that one gets the title of saint. So may all of us find that mission for ourselves and may God's peace and blessings be on all of you.